Okay, everyone, we're in 1 Corinthians again, and in the chapters um, 12, 13, and 14. Um, so if, you, if you'd like to turn there, and I'm going to concentrate this evening on at least one thing, and we see how we go. And... <clears throat> So if you turn into the 14th chapter particularly and have a look, let's just read down a little because uh, he's finished, Paul has finished a section which uh, uh, concludes in verse 13 of chapter 13. And uh, having concluded his thoughts there, he embarks on a new section about uh, their actual gatherings together and regulating their life, the church life. Now, if we can just put this in a little bit of perspective, um, you know that um, the the church in Corinth had particular problems, uh, which maybe we do not have in the same way, uh, or at least in the churches that we're connected with. It's not in quite the same way that we have these problems. But, of course, they delighted in what they called spirituality. That's one of the reasons why the theme of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Paul constantly addresses. And the Corinthian church rejoiced in, the, in what they called the spirituals, which is why, for instance, in chapter 12, uh, verse 1, you know now concerning... The spirituals, the word gifts is not there, the spirituals. And when Paul is writing to them in the 14th chapter, you, you notice that, again, he, he uses the word spirituals. I wonder if you can find it in chapter 14, where you find the word spirituals. Um, they were an intensely spiritual church, aware of the realm of the spirit and the spirituals. And in the 12th verse of the 14th chapter, he sums up in a way or concentrates and he, he knows them. And he says, now, since you are zealous for the spirituals, uh, since you are zealous for the spirituals, your version says gifts, but as I said before, the word gifts doesn't come. Seeing as you are so zealous for pneumaticos, nevmaticos, things of the spirit, the spiritual world, uh, you're zealous for them. Now, I have to say that probably 60% of the evangelical church today 
that would not be true of them. They, they are not <clears throat> zealous for the spirituals at all. Essentially, they're, they're zealous, if they're keen, for cerebral things. Things of the mind. In fact, our whole training, of course, is in the realm of the cerebral. So if we believe the right doctrines. So, for instance, there's some people who would never particularly want to listen to me in the churches. Um, I may get a window of opportunity, but... Uh, they they wouldn't really be interested. And many young people, for instance, in the churches, uh, if you don't operate cerebrally, uh, point one, point two, point three, point four, point five, using alliteration and multitudes of illustrations that uh, just bring a sort of peak to the imagination. Well, you're not acceptable. Um, but it's part of our training. It's part of the barrenness that, uh, alas, tends to be in the churches today, in some of them. When I talk like this, it is unfair generalization. And then in some quarters, mainly the charismatic kind of quarters of the church, there could be some desire for the spirituals. You appreciate that this is profoundly important. So, for instance, uh, generally among a certain element of the young people in the churches, we could say they are zealous to be on the platform with the band, to learn an instrument and to lead what's called worship nowadays. And But the Corinthians were zealous. They really wanted the realm of the spirit and the spirituals. Do you? So I'm aware that I'm speaking to some people here, and you're not zealous. In fact, you may have come from a background the same as I did, Mm -hmm. uh, where, which was a mixture of Baptist congregational and Christian brethren. And that was my background for 20 years, for which I am thankful. But when I passed into the things of the Spirit, the elders of my church told me to renounce tongues because I began to speak in tongues and they heard about it. They told me I must renounce it because I'd been possessed by a devil. And because I refused to um, to renounce it, they put me out of the church. So I was 21 at the time. Bit of a shock to me. And I have to qualify that by saying that two years later, they apologized and asked me to speak at a young people's conference that they were organizing. But my whole background had been, I'd been told that these spirituals had passed away when the perfect had come 
<clears throat> for them, the perfect, of course, was the Bible. And I'm aware that some of you listening and some who, for instance, gather with us uh, in lustly on a Sunday afternoon at the moment, come from a similar background to what I came from. My brother-in-law married to, I've got two younger sisters. The oldest of the two is a couple of years younger than me. She was married at the time and her husband was uh, avidly opposed to the things of the spirit. And he heard that I had passed in to the spirit and tongues and he tore me to shreds at first. And then again, about a year later, apologized because he said, well, what's happened to you has changed you. And so I have to say sorry that there must be something in this whole thing that in those days was called the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues. Of course, in those days, I found myself forced to join quite gladly with with other people who had a heart and had themselves passed into the things of the Spirit. And we began to meet in homes. And that was in 1966. And from that, many churches came into being. But I'm conscious, you see, that there has been a teaching around uh, lately. Now, when I say lately, I'm talking mainly in about the last 170 years. You may not realize that, but essentially it has been around that the gifts of the Spirit are not today. If you want to know names, who popularized this idea interpreting the latter verses of chapter 13, to which I now turn you, interpreting them that the perfect has come. Now, there were some men involved in that, uh, like uh, Moody, Dwight Moody, uh, his friend C.I. Schofield, And they were in turn had been influenced much by one of the early brethren men named J.N. Darby, who began to divide the Bible up into dispensations. And that God moved in different ways in different dispensations. They could not be mixed. So you had this dispensation and that dispensation. And of course, there was the dispensation, which when the Bible came, the perfect had now come. And we were in that dispensation where we must teach Bible, have Bible, have Bible, have Bible, and become educated in Bible and espouse the right doctrines. And this especially in the United States and Canada, flooded uh, the church in those days. And it's uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. And in the Reformed, uh, which is Presbyterian kind of backgrounds, 
The most prominent man was a man named Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, who I used to read quite a lot many, many years ago to acquaint myself with his position. And uh, he was the one who most eloquently taught. He was in Princeton Theological College, which split up into Westminster Theological College and uh, I can't remember the name of the other one. And uh, so a little bit of church history. And so this belief, this idea based here with a phrase that you'll find down here, when that which is perfect has come, verse 10 of chapter 13. And that was interpreted as the Bible. Now, uh, I'll just say one comment about that that I understood years ago, that the, the doctrine that the Bible is the perfect, of course, is quite wrong. And I'll just give you one reason why. Would God uh, cause Paul and the Corinthians to have any idea that a book was going to come along called the Bible? Of course not. Of course not. Paul had no idea that his letters would become part of a, the most wonderful book in the world, which is called the Bible. But he had no idea. John had no idea that his uh, revelation would become the closing book of what we call the Bible. The Corinthians had no expectation of the Bible. Their whole reliance, their whole attention, of course, was focused upon the history of God's dealings and the flood of promises that he'd made through his prophets, what we call the Old Testament. And their concentration was there, that God had worked in days past, and their reliance totally was on the present ministry of the Holy Ghost to show them God in the Old Testament, to remind them through the yet living apostles who'd been with Jesus, who spoke in the power of the Spirit of what they had seen, what they had heard, and in time wrote it down, some of them, Matthew wrote it down, and of course Mark, who wasn't a disciple of Jesus, um, in the days of his flesh, he wrote probably at the dic dictation of Peter, Luke, who hadn't been with Jesus, but diligently searched out things, as he tells us in, in his Gospels. He diligently searched out the history and continued diligently seeking out things about uh, the continuation of the things that Jesus began to do and teach. That's how he opens up his Acts of the Apostles. This is, this is so, so significant for us, and I cannot emphasize it enough to us. Um, 
you will discover in so much of evangelical preaching, evangelical teaching, evangelical seminars, the Holy Spirit, who is the, he's vested by the Lord to lead us into truth, takes up the final paragraph. Uh, even I was listening to someone, uh, you know, I won't say anything about it, but very recently, who gave a very good short address. And the Holy Spirit figured right at the end, almost as an afterthought. You know, it was, this is so typical. This is typical of what I faced when I was in the Bible college many years ago, when I did my studies and took my degree things and that. You know, the Holy Spirit took a back seat. <laughs> to the Corinthians, he had a front seat, mm-hmm. but they'd got things jumbled up. So the spirituals to them were things that were going to go on for eternity, things that they reveled in, one in particular, which, of course, was the gift of tongues, which is why that in these scriptures in Corinthians, Paul brings out some ad hoc lists. Um, They are ad hoc. They are not exhaustive. They are not systematic. He is wanting to liberate the Corinthians from their restricted view that thought two things that were quite wrong. Tongue speaking was the be all and the end all of the spirituals, and two, that the spirituals were going to be forever. Now, let me say quite clearly to you, the spirituals, some of which Paul lists in the beginning of chapter 12, where he talks about there are these things that are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, miracles, discernment, all those things, as I say, an ad hoc list, so that if you were to look at one of the other lists, uh, for instance, that Paul wrote in Romans 12, you would find there are things missing there in that list that are present in this list in 1 Corinthians 12. And so it goes on. I think it's a long while ago since I went through the lists of the Bible, and I think I ended up with at least 26 or 28 charismata gifts. Um, As I say, uh, the dear Corinthians had got focused in in the wrong way. And so the other thing that they'd focused on was the idea that they were going to go on and on, and they're not. They are for now. So if we have a little look a little more closely 
at the last series of verses in verse in chapter 13. Um, you know that Paul has spoken and he he says to them right at the end of chapter 12, yet I show you a more excellent way. Um, the verse 31 begins, but earnestly desire the best spirituals, charismata. Uh, earnestly the desire the best so for instance if we just take that list of gifts that he mentions in verses 28 and 29 I wonder what one's view of those ministries that the church needs in the body of the assembly you know our God has appointed these in the assembly, in the ecclesia. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then, gifts of healings. Helps. Administration. Varieties of tongues. That was their favorite, wasn't it? In Corinth, and he, he puts it at the end of his, again, another ad hoc list. Mm -hmm. Then he asks these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? What a plethora of ministries and gifts. You know the word plethora, don't you? What a multitude. What, what a riches. Poor Corinthians getting stuck in one. Hey? Stuck in one. Poor church of today getting stuck in teaching and the cerebral. Poor church of today getting stuck in meetings that Hazel and I so much in the last 20 years have had to be in, where there's hardly a prayer uttered, no evidence of a gift of the Spirit, plenty of singing, loud if possible, and someone often just preaching a topical sermon. I have one thing to say about it. It is poor compared with what the Lord wants for us in our churches. Are all apostles, so if I was to ask you, like Paul says, desire the best gifts. 
he's not talking to them individually and say, you choose the best and choose a gift for you. He's thinking, everything in Paul's thinking is corporate. In the church, oh God, give us some true apostles today. Give us some true prophetic ministry today. Oh, Lord, will you stretch out your hand to heal? To heal hearts, to heal bodies. Will you give us those who have discernment and can recognize spirits at work? where they're working in the deep places of souls, where souls are oppressed and they need healing and they need deliverance. Oh, Lord, bring us into, I think of my grandfather. My grandfather was a drunkard and an alcoholic Italian gentleman from uh, Castello del Mar on the Bay of Naples, who along with some of his sisters and brothers entered into this country in the early part of the last century. And he became an alcoholic and he was living in the east end of London with one child. My father, who was born in 1919, and he was befriended. They were befriended. Immigrant couple, poor, in the east end of London, Hackney. They were befriended by two spinsters, old Christian ladies. And those two ladies took them under their wing and loved them and came to a place where they managed to get my grandfather to go to their church, which happened to be a brethren assembly that I subsequently preached in many years later called Clapton Hall. And he met God and was delivered like that from his alcohol. God moved in power. Oh, God, bring us. Bring us these things. Covet the best gifts. He was healed. He was delivered and walked with God ever after that. You see, it's remarkable. And by the way, when my father, our name was God Julo, a fine Italian, southern Italian name. My father wanted to fight for the British against Mussolini and fascism, and he had to change his name. So he chose the name Hull because those two old ladies, their name was Hull. Two old ladies who never had children of their own, their name continues to this day. God working by the Spirit. You see, I do want to challenge us, and I do want to 
uh, help us to to see oh god grant to your church the best gifts you know those things you think of your physical body what are the best organs the most vital of organs in your body you cannot do without them if you're going to have a vibrant life you understand what i'm saying and the spiritual gifts and ministries in the body of christ they have varied value and importance there are some things we can get along without just about but i'm explaining to you one of the reasons why the church tends to be weak and not strong and it's because there are things missing that should be there that are available and you know paul has no thought at all to do away with these things that anything perfect was going to come the bible uh, you know as long as we are in the now you know in the now moment this time where we're not in the not yet you may have heard of that phrase the not yet there is that which is to come which is perfect and even faith and hope will not be necessary there because if all that you hoped for has come do you need hope and if all that you faced for is right there face to face with you you know it's come it's come it's going to come but it hasn't come yet the perfect has not come yet and so paul encourages them and says earnestly desire in this time where we need gifts and cannot do without them we need spirituals we need charismata we need those things that are not natural that are not taught in a seminary you know i just think of this brothers and sisters you know i heard someone speak today on a a a a recorded thing on a screen and he more latterly has become somewhat of a broken man and i could hear he's not seminary trained but i could hear a reality in his voice i could hear a substance he was not yeah he was not stuck in his mind giving us a a bunch of doctrine correct though it may be and it, you know I, i know that part of his entry into a deeper place has been his suffering 
just as it was for Saul and Paul. It wasn't the fact that he went through a seminary and had got bunches of paper. You know, I sound very negative to this sort of thing, but the church has been under the authority of the cerebral primarily. For years, it has not been under the authority of the Holy Ghost. I mentioned dispensationalism. You know, I think of where Hayes and I spoke a couple of years back in, um, in, uh, well, Moody, in Chicago area, and then we've been in Biola, which used to be called the Bible College of Los Angeles many years ago, and that they are totally given to the education of of young people, educating them in various ways. And if you're in the theological faculty, and our churches are being filled with this thing, but Paul tells us. Desire the best charismata, these things that come from God and are by the Spirit and are not linked with our education. You know, our natural education, and of course I sound as though I'm decrying all natural education, and I'm not. Now, you know that, but I'm saying to you, it can be a clog in the life of the spirit. If we rely upon the degreed man and that kind of thing. And then Paul says this, and I show you a more excellent way. Notice the first person singular, I. I. Um, I. As far as I can see from my studies in Corinthians, the Corinthian church had little knowledge of interpretation and little knowledge of prophecy. Though he does say to them at the beginning of chapter one, doesn't he, that you come behind in no gift. So at their beginnings, when Paul had spent his 18 months with them, they had evidently passed into all of them. Evidently, they'd had some knowledge, and then they had become uh, shriveled to their favorite. So evidently, in their earlier days, they'd had prophetic utterance, they'd had interpretation, they'd seen miracles take place, they'd seen healings to take place, and they had, they had had something of the richness, and then somehow their pride, and it's always pride that does it, began to shut them down, because the Holy Spirit cannot live with pride. I know that I'm speaking something that's particularly relevant to the church of today 
in in a different way. It's not pride in talking in tongues. It's pride in having the best music. It's pride in having the best administration. It's pride in having the best uh, preacher doing his teaching of this, that, and the other. And it always closes you down in the assemblies to that precious state of from it closes you down from your sense of great need oh that causes you to pray with deepest longing oh god pour out upon us pour out of your spirit pour out with him your gifts pour out pride will shrink you and uh, I'll show you a more excellent way, says Paul. It's lovely, isn't it? Uh, I'll show you. You remember me? Remember the time I was with you? You remember I spoke with tongues? I'm in verse 1 of chapter 13. Remember I prophesied? Verse 2. Do you remember that I, 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 I was able to elucidate the mysteries of the gospel while I was among you? You remember that I had knowledge, and you remember times of faith that worked in me and you. You know he's talking about himself. You remember how I was so free with my goods. Verse 3, and I gave my body. I was just willing to pour myself out for you. You remember it all. I was showing you. Were those things, the tongues, the prophecies, the knowledge, the mysteries, were they bereft of love? Were were they just not expressions of love? Were they not, you know, was, was I a tinkling brass and a clanging cymbal? You know, I'm nothing. That's what Paul says. He's talking about himself. And then he, he he comes on having talked along those lines. He he says, um, love, verse 4, suffers long and is kind. Did, did you not see that lived out in front of you in those months that I was with you? Did I not suffer long? Do you know, a man said to me today after the meeting, he said to me, you found me so hard to love, haven't you? <laughs> Imagine someone saying that to you at the end of a meeting. And I said to him, not at all, not at all. No, I haven't found you hard to love. He's a... He's an awkward customer. <laughs> Others have found me hard to love. You know, uh, I love him. You know, <laughs> it's, it's good, isn't it? 
oh, but you're, you're having, and he used these words. He used these words, you've having been having to suffer me. <laughs> yes, love suffers long. I'm not putting myself out as any expert in it. I'm just saying that these things are right down to us, right in our churches. <laughs> you know. And to love shall be given discernment. To love shall be given the word of God. To love shall be given boldness. To love shall be, can, be given uh, healings of heart and mind, you see. And this is what Paul is on. He says, it's kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Blessed naivety. We're taught to think the worst. The whole system of the world. You know, we attribute to people motives. You know, we're raised that way. It comes in our family life, all kinds of things. Oh, how we need a profound baptism of love, don't we? To know this love of God, you know. The Holy Ghost comes to shed, according to the fifth of Romans, come to shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. That's what he's come to do. Amen. It will be like oil that makes the gifts flow. It'll be like oil that will loose the tongue so that you're not sitting petrified in a meeting from letting your voice, your ears hear your voice pray out your love for God. Your ears hear your voice. You know, some people sit and mute for year after year. You know, in the meetings, oh, it's not for me. But you better notice very clearly in the 12th of this epistle, Paul says, to each one, each one, each one is given, each one, uh, each one here who has received the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. to each one there has been that which has been given. And one of the first things that's been given to you is the liberty to utter. Mm -hmm. To make confession, to pray, to be glad. And uh, it's a very wonderful thing to each one. So none of us should say, not me, Lord, not me, Lord. <laughs> to each one. To one, he gave one. To another, he gave two. To another, he gave five, each according to their ability. Isn't that right? One of the stories Jesus told. Do you remember the parables? To each one, 
to one, to one, to one. To one. This is so precious. And uh, the church shall only become somewhat like it should be when it is like a pure bride, righteous and golden, with that streaming clear crystal river running down the main street, bringing forth <laughs> the trees of life. You know, I'm in uh, Revelation 22, a wonderful pictorial revelation of the church. I tell you, that river of clear as crystal of the blessed life of God must run down the main street of your heart and my heart. It must run down the main street of my heart, my life. A double-minded man shall be unstable in his all, all his ways. All his ways. You know, one street in the city. <laughs> one street and the river running down it. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? He goes on, doesn't he? He says, it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, sixth verse, but rejoices in the truth. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Verse 8. Love never fails. Love never fails. You're always going to have love. In the now, there will be love. In eternity, there will be love. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. They'll fail. They'll be removed. Get it in context, precious Corinthians. You who are so zealous for spirituals, who are over the moon about tongues, who think it's all power and might, and uh, being ecstatic and besides yourself. Oh, precious ones in Corinth, understand love never fails. You've got the idea that tongues will never fail. Of course they will, because they won't be needed there, for there shall be perfect knowledge, perfect understanding, perfect communion, perfect communication between God and man, and man and God, and man and man. Am I making sense <laughs> as I say these things? Of course, tongues will pass away. You don't need them. And as for prophecies, well, you know, you, you, you don't need them, 
You know, you, we're not going to be needing exhortations to one another and encouragements to rise up and follow because we'll be there, won't we? Am I making sense? We'll be there with him. No one will have to come along and encourage me and say to me, follow me. You know, this morning in our meeting, we, you know, I'll describe our our meeting to you this morning that we had. It was led by one of the younger leaders. And, uh, you know, we weren't stuck in one thing. Um, It was, I'll tell you how it came. There were 27 people there, apparently. We were all sat in a great big circle, supposed to be socially distancing. We didn't manage that very well, but we tried. We all had our masks on and obedient in a measure to governmental mandate. By the way, government's way beyond its brief, as probably you know, in order that we can carry on worshipping our almighty NHS. But anyway, um, just an aside to say that, um, idolatry is always involved in control elements. Idolatry of government, idolatry of this and that. But anyway, that's another subject. But the thing is that we were gathered and the younger leader said, we're going to start. And uh, we, we want to get to know one another. And there's this lady, and I won't mention her name, but I'm going to ask her some questions. She's agreed to answer them. And so first question is something like, and what is your name, full name, and so on. And next question is, how long have you been coming to the church? And, uh, you know, and she she responds. And gradually, over the period of about seven or eight minutes, we learn quite a lot as a church about this sister who's coming along. We learn that her husband's not the Lord's. Those who have ears to hear can recognize that uh, perhaps she, you know, that she's asked, for instance, the question, what is your greatest desire? Oh, my greatest desire is that my husband will really turn to the Lord. And that's what she said and a few other things. And so we learn about her and how she came to the Lord. We learn about her background. We learn that when she was about 13 years old, she responded to the Lord in a quite dynamic young people's group. And then a little later on, she passed into the things of the spirit. And she said, that sealed me in to the Christian life. And so she spoke, and so we learned, and we heard her voice, and we heard something of her heart. It was good. And then the young leader said, now we're going to listen to brother uh, from Ireland who's going to speak to us on the screen. He's recorded a message. And he spoke to us about following. It was simple. He took step 
by step by step for 25 minutes, I guess, and gave an illustration at the end. And then the young brother, the thing was switched off. And then the young brother said, okay, uh, now we're all going to split up into groups of four or five and we're going to sit together for 10 minutes and talk about what he said. So we split up into those groups and I was in a group and there were five of us and each of us said a little of what we had gained and we encouraged one another. And then he called us to order and uh, calling us to order, he said, now we'll listen to a song. And they put this song on. And I can't, uh, one of the good ones, three verses. Uh, Hazel says it's a Keith Getty, but it was a good one. And uh, we sang it. And, well, we didn't sing it. We're not allowed to sing officially, though some of us break the rule anyway. And, um, uh, you know, hallelujah. And then that song just led us into, we were stood. Standing does something for you, you know. And maybe there were 10 of us out of the 27 standing. And... uh, Maybe at least three prayed, including the young leader. I heard him pray in a way he, I'd never heard him pray. He began to let his heart out. And of course, him beginning to let his heart out to God began to loose this old sister who was sat there because she has difficulty standing, but her heart flowed. And uh, then a younger sister who's pretty upfront and happy type and a married lady with teenage children. She sang out a song, you know, from a psalm and she sang that out and then someone else did something. And then the Lord gave a prophetic word. And so the meeting moved on, and I guess we more or less wound up after that, dear, did we? And But what I'm saying is probably of the 27 in the meeting, 27 participated. They, 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 there's something that came forth. Uh, there's something uh, that for all, and there was something within the groups of four or five, mm. and something began to flow, and I'm using my words carefully. Love began to flow, openness began to flow, the spirit began to flow. Hope I'm making it clear. Yes, there was a semblance of order to it. The young brother uh, had ordered the day and we were willingly submissive to him. I was anyway. And I think everybody else was because we were in the atmosphere of love. And I'm sure that everybody who'd been in that gathering would move away from it saying, oh, 
It was good to be there. It was good to be there. I think the young man asked that lady at the beginning, what's one of your favorite songs? And she said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And, uh, you know, so one or two of us, Hazel and I sang at the end, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Let nobody else take his place. So that hour by hour, you will know his power. And at last, you will run that great race. You see, everything turned us to the Lord. A sure mark of the Holy Spirit. Mm. A sure mark. And love never fails. And you know, we're in this now moment these days and we're not in the, it's not yet that the, the, the perfect has come, mm. but we can enter in each one as. Now I realize that some of you have been meeting through years in churches where that is the bottom, where everything is totally front led. You know, where everything is under the control of and how much depends on the controller for any quality that's going to be in the meeting, eh? How much? I can remember going to St. George's Tron in Glasgow, uh, Sunday by Sunday evenings in particular. And in those days, a very fine preacher named George Duncan was the preacher and ah that man so loved God I met him once on a plane I remember and he was interested in me that was kind that was kind kind and but I tell you the thoughtfulness of the hymns he he did everything he did everything he chose the hymns He read the scriptures, he prayed the prayers, but because he was a man of such love for God and quality of mind, so given, there was richness, richness from the beginning of the meeting right through to the end. Mm. (laughs) Am I making myself clear? So if you must have something front-led, If it must be like that, probably best to choose something like that rather than there's that which is dubious at the front. And that which is dubious, uh, you know. Anyway, let's get back to 13th. It says here... Now we know in part and prophesy in part. So in this sense, Bernard knows a little, but whatever I know, I only know in part. That's one of the reasons that makes you slow to judge, isn't it? I was asked a question on the midnight Zoom last night. 
by a very dear pastor lady in uh, Malaysia about divorce. And I didn't want to answer that question. You see, because, not because I'm evading things so much. I did answer a little as much as I felt I wanted to. One of the reasons, of course, is I only know in part. How can I know the hidden motivations of hearts and the pressures that came? You know, for all your knowledge, I remember sitting with Mark um, in a in the Baptist church and seeing a lady. And during the conversation, things were revealed. I won't go into it. And things were revealed. But even as God is granting us discernment, we still only know in part. We still only know in part. And we only prophesy in part. I think that's why I covet more and more never to misrepresent God in my preaching and in my prophesying or whatever it may be, prophetic preaching. People love to put names on these things because we just know in part. We only know other people's hearts in part. Be slow to speak. Be even slower to judge and to let things rush off our lips. Let love abound. If you catch yourself rejoicing in iniquity, you need God to deal with you. You should be rejoicing in truth. You should be, when you hear bad things about someone, Mm. you know, don't be swift to judge. Who can know it all? My glasses are broken. That's the end of colourful glasses. (laughs) Um, But amen. Am I making sense as I talk this way? Ah, mm-hmm. uh, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Oh, dear Corinthians, who are so thrilled with your tongue speaking, they're all going to go. Yeah, even these wonderful things of prophecy. You know, they're all going to go. Won't it be a wonderful day? Ah. But then in verse 11, when I was a child, so he's back to the I. He's back to first person singular. I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. Oh, you Corinthians who really think you're a bunch of grown-ups spiritually. (laughs) He says, no, 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 in this life we're still only children. You know, we only understood, understand like a child. I thought as a child. 
But when I became a man, Paul says, I put away childish things. And he's wanting to apply that to them and say to them, then we're going to be sons of God indeed. Then we won't know in part. Then I shall know just as I am also known. Oh, thank you, Lord. Nothing hidden, nothing. An end of tears, you know, everything. Oh, the perfect shall come. There shall be a perfect. <laughs> uh, the perfect suoens. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the perfect. You know, let's have a man, Fred. Owens, or Owen. You haven't got an S, have you, Fred? No, no, it's Owen. Yeah, you. did you know that there's an Owen down there? There's John Owens and Bill Owens, and there's Fred and Nell. Owen. Amen. <laughs> Isn't it good for the perfect? And we shall look upon his face and we shall look upon one another's face. And oh, brothers and sisters, we won't be prophesying to one another and saying, follow him, like the preacher was saying to us on the screen this morning. Keep following, the prophecy says. Keep following, the prophecy this morning said. Oh, Jesus, the father was saying, Jesus, my son, he followed me, he followed me, he followed my will all the way through. He followed me, he followed me to the wilderness of Calvary. He followed, followed me into the empty place, the place of suffering. And now, what did he receive? Because the Lord said to us, I want to make you all rich. Keep following me. And of course, it wasn't in my mind at the time this morning. But, you know, I could say it to you. Follow me. Be like the Corinthians. Be zealous for the spirituals. <laughs> Be zealous for him. Follow him in there, into the realm of the spirituals. Follow him, uh, the Lord Jesus, right into the realm of liberty and prayer and praising, in singing in the spirit, in singing with the understanding also, in, in praying with the spirit and praying with the understanding also, these things that he's going to uh, come on to in, in the 14th chapter. You know, come on, let's enter into the bounty of our God uh, so that love has more means of expression through us. Healings. Oh, I'm so conscious of this, brothers and sisters, you see. I think it was Mark and I, we were walking. No, it wasn't Mark and I, it was... I was talking to Richard Porowski yesterday and during the day 
Oh, and he said that some people in the United States and Canada are saying, when all this lockdown's over, can we arrange a conference and be rather difficult, some central place in the USA, and people could fly there and we could get a week together. The desire to see one another face to face, the desire to flow in in God, to taste days of heaven on earth. That should be the church's experience, not the place of rancor, not the place of argument, not the place of division. Oh, hallelujah. Now I know in part, but then I shall know. Now we see through a mirror, you know, in a mirror, in an enigma, you know the word enigma. You know, it's, it's not clear. We can see the outlines. We see reflections. We see reflections. I see reflections of him in you. I hope you do in me. But then, face to face. Ah. That's the perfect, that's the perfect, when it's come. Who would need tongues, prophecies, healings? Well, of course we won't need healings, for we shall be healed. We shall be whole. You know, now here, how I long, you know, for opportunities, for to have drill conferences where we can entrust ourselves to the power of God and to let him deal with all the deep places of our hearts, you know, so that we come into the liberty of the sons of God. <clears throat> now abide faith, hope, love. These three but the greatest of these is love. Well, there you are. I hope that I have helped those who are afraid, you know, of the gifts of the Spirit. I hope I've helped a little. You know, let us enter in. Let us enter in. Oh, Lord. We pray for this, dear Father. Oh, to do the sacrifice of your son, justice, by living up to the hilt. Mm. In these days, living up to the hilt and all that he has promised us. Oh, Father. Your son died and rose again to bring us into abundant life. I am come, he said, to give life and give it more abundantly. Oh, Father, have mercy on us in these days. Help those of us. Strengthen us, Lord, to with loving boldness declare something 
of your fullness that we acknowledge we only see in part. Oh, Lord, you're wonderful and we love you. You're wonderful, Lord. Yes, you're more wonderful than in the early days. You are to me, Lord. Yes, I thank you for early days, Lord, for the exuberance, the excitement of it all, the thrill of new things passing in to we hardly knew what. Oh, Lord, but you have proved to be utterly faithful when I was not. And you have brought us through, Lord, storm and tossing waves and troubles, numerous through fire and water you have brought us, Lord. Through torrents of temptation, you bring us through into a wealthy place, Lord. And we ask for that wealthy place. I, we ask for it. Yes. We ask for it in Canada. We ask for it, yes. Lord, in the United States. Yes. We ask for it in Poland, in Lublin, in Biosco, in all the different places, oh God. We ask for it in the Tin Valley. Oh Lord. Lord, we pray for this. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Your people seek you and lift up our faces. And Oh, don't let us sink to be a clod, Lord. Don't let us sink just to... Just about breathing, mm. Lord. Yes. We want to be the body of Christ indeed. That's not just about breathing, just about alive, just about, just about, just about. Mm. We want to be in the fullness, Lord. Mm. Pray for them up there in Morton Hampstead. They come to mind. Pray for them. Lord, in, who are meeting in Lusley currently, pray for them in Rora. Pray for them in Heathfield. All of them, Lord. All. Oh, precious in your sight. Oh, Lord. Amen. Bless your word to our hearts, Lord. Glorify your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Amen. 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 Just encourage others to to yeah. uh, respond in prayer. Just unmute yourself and feel free to uh, lead us in prayer. Maybe two or three others, and just an opportunity to respond. So, thank you, Bernard. Bless mm. you. Amen. Amen.